All right, well, again, good morning. Um, if I have not met you before, or if you're joining us online and don't know me, uh, my name is James, and I'm the pastor here, and so grateful, as, as my wife Abby said, thank you for leading us through that, Abby, um, but so grateful to be together, so grateful to have this time, and man, that song we just sang, I love it. I love singing that as a prayer. God, all the earth will shout your praise. That's a prayer, saying, God, we want to see the name of Jesus lifted high because the name of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's how we know God because of Jesus and what he has done. And we want that to start in our hearts. We need that in our hearts, but we want it to spread to the community, to neighbors, to the nations around the world, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. And so, man, let's just let that be our heart this morning as we hear from God's Word. So again, if you're joining us online, welcome, ask questions, comment, interact. If you're in the room, um, write questions down and ask them later, or you can interact, you know, you can, you know, kind of give, a little give and take is always good. All right, so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about false teaching. It's not something that we preach about often, but um, you'll see where we're heading with this. So this past week, Abby, my wife, um, was doing some reading about church history and some of the heresies that have occurred at various times. That's a big fancy word. Heresy and false teaching are simply teachings that go against the truth of the Bible. And so as she was doing this, she was talking to Lottie, our, our three-year-old, about this, okay? And, and so now Lottie will walk around the, the house and she will say, I will not listen to heresy. I listen to God. All right? So I think that's a good place to start with our sermon. So can you say that with me this morning? I will not listen to heresy. I listen to God. And so uh, that's a, it's a good truth to know that we want to say, God, who are you? What are you saying? What is your word saying this morning? All right, so if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can use your table of contents to navigate there. If you don't have a Bible, that's completely okay. It's going to be on the screen. And if you'd like to have a Bible, we would love to give you one. And so we have some available in French or English that would be our gift to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're continuing in our series from the letter called Corinthians, and there's two of them, first and second, right? Um, and the, the theme of this is imperfect church, but perfect Savior. They were a bit of a messy church, and they needed Jesus, right? Just like us. We have two more weeks of this series, and I don't know about you, but for me, it has been good. I've learned and grown and even been challenged and encouraged through hearing this sermon, these sermons preached and through preparing for them myself. If you haven't done it yet, I would encourage you to read through just on your own time, First and Second Corinthians. Um, do a fresh reading of those as we wrap this up, um, and it's just a helpful way to help connect all the dots and put it all together. But as we go through this, man, I would just say praise be to God that in our brokenness and imperfections that we have a perfect Savior. That God has sent His Son, Jesus, to rescue us out of our sin. Our hope is in him. Before I read our scripture this morning, let me give you kind of a little bit of background to what's happening because you're just kind of jumping in. You ever watch a TV show and they're like, previously, and this is kind of, let's get a little bit of the previously here. So in this, what we're going to read, the Christians in the, in the city of Corinth, they were very impressed with status and eloquence. But at the same time, there are false teachers telling them not to listen to Paul anymore. Paul's the guy that wrote this letter. They're saying, don't listen to him anymore. Don't listen to his message. And so Paul writes this to them, and he's really responding with the heart of a pastor because he wants to protect them 
from false teaching, and he wants them to point them, he wants to point them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. That's kind of what we're jumping into this morning. So we're going to read through it, and then we'll we'll walk through it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Here's what it says. Paul's writing. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will continue to, sorry, and what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray again this morning and ask God for wisdom as we hear from his word. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak through your word, that you have given your word to us to reveal yourself to us. God, help us to listen. Help us to listen with hearts that are seeking after you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there's an old song that many of you may be familiar with called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in that song, there's this haunting yet true line that's like about every single one of us. And here's what it says. It says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Think about that. We are prone to wander. We can be so easily swayed. We're prone to want to hear something new, to be drawn to what is popular, to follow what seems right or feels good. This is why false teaching is so dangerous. Because if we're not wise and vigilant, as individuals and as a church, we can be led away from Christ by letting false teaching shape and change our life and our beliefs. False teaching is a reality in our world. And even if we kind of look in words like heresy and false teaching, they might seem a little bit outdated, but I would actually say that because of the internet, social media, and all that, we may be in more danger of false teaching right now than at any other time in history. So how do we guard against it? How can we learn to notice it? So we want to look in the Bible this morning and come away hopefully with some practical things that we could do to guard ourselves and our church from false teaching. Our main thought this morning is this. We must guard against false teaching and pursue a sincere 
and pure devotion to Christ. We're going to walk through this scripture together. Fancy this morning. Are you ready? We're going to go verses 1 through 4, then verses 5 through 11, but wait, finally verses 12 through 15. All right? You can track with me on that fancy uh, outline this morning. So, verses 1 through 4 in this first section, let's see what's Paul talking about? What is he doing? He says, Bear with me in a little foolishness. Paul's being accused of not caring for the Corinthians. These, these super apostles that we'll talk about in a minute, these other teachers, they're coming in and they're saying, don't listen to Paul anymore. He's holding out on you. He's not telling you the truth. So Paul comes and he's, he's defending himself. He's saying, hey, listen, I love you guys. And he shows them. He says, I have been humble with you. He's saying, listen, if you need me to explain myself, And I'm going to lay it out for you, so here you go. So Paul says, bear with me a little bit because I need you to understand why I can come to you and not just be considered another false teacher. He says, he's going to show us how his life and his teaching matched up to show the truth of the gospel. So in verse 2, Paul says, I am jealous for you, for the Corinthian church. He wants them to follow Christ and he cares for them deeply. And jealousy in this verse is a good thing. Like often we're like, oh, jealousy is a bad thing. But here it's a good thing because Paul says it's a divine jealousy, meaning that in the same way that God is jealous for his people, Paul is jealous for the Corinthian church. It's a jealousy that flows out of deep love and a desire for their highest good to know Jesus. Think about it. The way that God loves us, if we run from God and worship other gods, he is jealous for us, wanting to bring us back to himself because he knows that he is what we need. He is the best thing for us. And so Paul feels this jealousy for the Christians in Corinth because there are people coming and trying to pull them away from the gospel. Paul uses here the, image, the imagery of marriage. And he's jealous because he, he says, I'm the one that betrothed you to Christ or, or presented you to Christ. They know Jesus because Paul labored and suffered so that they could hear the gospel. Paul's saying, hey, Corinthians, I set you up. I set you up with Jesus. I introduced you to him. He's invested in this relationship and he's jealous for them because he wants them to be following Jesus. In verse 3, Paul fears, look here, he says, I'm afraid, right there in the beginning, Paul fears that they will be easily swayed and deceived by false teaching. And he gives us an example here. He says, just like the serpent in the garden deceived Eve. His concern is that they'll be led away, here's this phrase again, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ because that's what Paul's aim was for these people. And I believe it's what his aim for us is as well, a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. This is an interesting thing here, because here's what Paul's doing. Paul's telling us that the very first false teaching was way back in Genesis 3, the beginning of the Bible. And in that story, if you're not familiar with that, God created Adam and Eve and they live in this garden, they live in this place and they're in perfect unity with God. They're in relationship with God. There was no sin and no shame and yet Satan comes and deceives them. Let's read this in Genesis chapter 3. This will be on the screen as well. Nope, lost my, here we go. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's happening here? Satan is deceiving Adam and Eve, twisting what God had said. He brings doubt around the truth that God had already told Adam and Eve. And this is what Paul is connecting us to and showing. This is the root of false teaching. Taking something that God has said and twisting it to something different. Causing us to say, well, is God really good? Is he really loving? Is is he holding out on us? Is God really powerful? All of these things. And this is the root of this false teaching. Because Paul connects it back to the very beginning, to the deceit of Satan. And in verse 4, Paul's fears are confirmed. He says, you put up with it. He's talking about false teaching. He says, you put up with it readily enough. They're putting up, they're letting false teaching be a part of their church. Now, here's what I want us to see here. In, in the city of Corinth, the false, there was an issue with these false teachers. They were a problem. But the church is also the problem. <laughs> Don't miss this. Yes, there were false teachers and they were a problem, but Paul is speaking strongly against the church and speaking to them here as well. Why? Because they're the ones putting up with false teaching. In a sense, they're creating a market for false teaching. They're like, no, tell us more. This is interesting. We want to know this. We want to hear this. They are part of the problem. And when we think about false teachers out there, you and I need to be humble enough and aware enough of our own sinful hearts that crave hearing what makes us feel good. And Scripture warns us about this in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Don't look at that and think, oh yeah, that's not me. Because our hearts are so easily drawn away to hearing what we want to hear, hearing what makes us feel good. So yes, we must guard against false teaching, but we need to look to Jesus to guard our own hearts against the desire to hear false teaching. Because it is sneaky and subtle. Paul's telling the church, hey, you got to stop putting up with it. <laughs> You're putting up with this false teaching in your church. Also in verse 4 here, Paul describes the nature of false teaching. Like what, what's going on with this false teaching? Here's what he says, three things. He says, if someone comes to you presenting another Jesus. Now he didn't mean some other guy named Jesus. He meant, if there, if, but if someone is twisting the character or the nature or the teachings of Jesus, they're coming and saying, no, Jesus was not fully God, or no, Jesus was not fully man, or Jesus said this, but we think this. If someone is twisting, they're bringing you another Jesus, not the real Jesus. He says it also could be a different spirit. He says someone brings you a different spirit. Don't accept it because he's referring to the Holy Spirit that fills Christians when we put our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. We must not welcome any other spirit. And finally, he says, if someone comes to you with a different gospel, a twisting or changing of the gospel message, that word gospel simply means good news. And here's what it is, right? This is kind of a side. Let's set this aside here. Here's the gospel. It's this. The clear gospel message is that God has sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life 
to die on the cross and rise from the dead in order to pay the price for sinful humanity. Our sin has separated us from God. But through faith alone, in Christ alone, we can be forgiven of sin and made righteous. That is the gospel message. And so Paul is saying here, if someone comes to you and says something that's not that, it's another gospel and it's false teaching. If someone comes and says, yes, God will accept you, but you need to work really hard and be really good, it's not the gospel. If someone comes and says, well, you know, God doesn't really love you, you know, because he is too far away from us, it's not the gospel. The gospel is God who has come near to us to rescue us out of our sin. False teaching can do three different things here. This is kind of still helping us see what what is false, false teaching, the nature of it. False teaching can add to the gospel. So it's basically saying, yes, I believe Jesus, but I also believe that you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to keep the law. You need to, um, you know, it creates legalism. In this scenario here in, in Corinth, most likely these super apostles were these Jewish teachers that came from the city of Jerusalem. And they came and they were saying, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to follow the law. You also need to eat kosher and do these things and keep, every, keep the law because that will earn you enough favor with God. So false teaching can be adding to the gospel, but false teaching can also be subtracting from the gospel, saying, well, you don't have to believe everything the Bible says. You don't actually need to believe that Jesus was God. You don't need to believe that God judges sin. So false teaching can come in the form of taking away from the full truth of the gospel. And finally, false teaching can twist the gospel, basically saying lots of good things, but mixing it up with culture. Hey, what, what does everybody else think? Let's line up with that. Or mixing it, up, mixing it up with humanism. And here's what that sounds like. Follow your heart. Mixes the gospel with just, you know, do whatever makes you feel good. It could mix it up with this idea of prosperity, saying like, if you believe in God, then God's going to give you all the money and all the things and all the health and all the things you ever wanted. And it's a twisting of the gospel. So we look at these things, you can add to it, you can subtract from it, you can twist it, and all of that is false teaching. But to be clear, false, in, in talking about false teaching, I'm not talking about your preferences or your opinions. Meaning like, if you hear something being taught and you just don't like it, it doesn't mean it's false teaching necessarily, right? False teaching is a deliberate twisting of God's word. Final thing about the nature of false teaching here. False teaching is, by its nature, very deceptive. It's often very attractive, not seemingly evil. We mentioned social media, but think about social media or YouTube or whatever, right? You can go there and find countless pastors or life coaches or self-help or Christian inspirational stuff, and there's plenty of false teachers to be found. But what do they all often have in common? Let's just say if it's a, like an Instagram page, it's very well done, it looks nice, it's attractive, it's very well spoken most of the time, often. Why is that? Because people want to follow attractive and well done things. People are not getting led astray by weird and creepy Instagram accounts. False teaching is deceptive and attractive. Right? You probably know the phrase that you can't, I'm sure you know the phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover, 
right? It's very true of false teaching. Outwardly, it can look attractive and inviting and even wise, but inwardly, it's deceptive. We must guard against false teaching and pursue a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, all right? You can wave at me. Are you awake? Everybody awake? Nod your head. Good to go. Okay. All right. Verses 5 through 11. Let's look at these together. In verses 5 and 6, Paul says, he says, hey, I may not have the eloquence of speech that others do, but he says, but I have the knowledge. And Paul calls these false teachers super apostles. And it's literally like in this like mocking sense that he's saying, hey, I see through who you are. You are all hype and no substance. Who were these guys? Who were these super apostles? Well, they were outwardly impressive teachers. They had the appearance of strength and wisdom. They were teaching people to follow and believe the wrong things, and they were casting doubts on Paul's teaching of the gospel. Think about this is the ancient Greek world, first century Greek world. Think about what you know, comes to mind. You've got people that are um, you know, speaking, and they're very wise, and they're philosophizing and all these things, right? That's kind of what we've got here. These guys were trained in public speaking, in rhetoric, in logic. They focused on eloquence and sounding convincing. They knew how to put certain words and verbs and adjectives together to really get to people's emotions, right? To really get people to listen to them. Their sermons were well-delivered and brilliant, which you are all very well familiar with. I'm joking. That's a joke. <laughs> now, of course, like eloquence is not the problem. A well-written, well-brilliant, well-delivered sermon is not the problem, right? Because the problem is eloquence in place of the true gospel. Eloquence that's lacking truth. So this is Paul's describing these super apostles, and and he says, hey, I don't have that eloquence, but I have the true knowledge of the gospel. And in verses 7 through 11, Paul backs this up by illustrating and telling from his own life. He says, hey, I did not charge you money to hear the gospel. So it's likely here that these super apostles were coming in and saying, yes, we will tell you our wisdom for the low fee of $19.99 plus tax, right? They were coming and charging these churches or people were paying to hear what they were teaching. And Paul says, hey, listen, I didn't do that. I didn't come and try to get anything from you. In fact, I am going to continue to live so as not to be a burden to you. Because Paul says, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm trying to point you to Jesus, He came to them humbly, even to the point of suffering on their behalf, which we talked about in the previous weeks. Paul wants nothing in return. because For Paul, the gospel is not something to be bought and sold. In verse 8, it's a little confusing. He says, I robbed other churches. Like, wait a minute. Apostle Paul, is he like robbing churches? He's using hyperbole here a little bit. He's making a point. He's saying, listen, other churches gave finances so that I could come to you. He's helping them see that Paul, Paul's like, listen, there are people all around who are giving so that you can hear the gospel. All this illustrates, Paul is telling them, I love you, I care for you, and I desire that you would have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Last section here in verses 12 through 15. Verse 12, let me read it again. Paul says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Paul wants to undermine these false teachers to show them for who they are. 
And really what he's saying, he's like, listen, I want it to be clear. What they are preaching and what we are preaching are different things. This is what's deceptive and tricky about false teaching because someone can come and say, hey, I'm going to teach you the truth. This is Christianity. They're claiming to teach it, and yet it is not true. Paul's saying, listen, they're saying that they're pastors, that they're coming and bringing truth, but it is pulling you away from Jesus. Verse 13, Paul makes it all very, very clear. He says, these people, such men are false apostles, deceitful working workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They're deceitful, they're lying, they're working against Jesus. In verse 14, he connects them with Satan, right? That escalated quickly, didn't it, Paul? Here we go, right? He, he connects them with Satan and how Satan disguises himself as something good. And he calls them servants of Satan. Paul's not messing around with them here. He is facing false teaching here head on, treating it as what it truly is, lies and deceit from Satan. He says, in the same way that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, the false teachers were doing the same thing. Now this helps us understand something about the false teachers and how they operated, but it also sheds some light for us on Satan, the deceiver, the enemy, It helps us see how he works. He works in a way that's attractive, deceptive, desirable. Because very rarely do people reject Jesus to literally follow Satan. It may happen sometimes, but that's rare. Normally, people reject Jesus by running to other things, worshiping other things, even good things. This is the deceit that Satan brings. He says, no, don't worship Jesus, just worship something else. And it leads us away from a close relationship with God. Satan is deceptive. And then finally in verse 14, Paul says they're going to face judgment. God will deal with them. Paul's telling them the Corinthians, he's like, listen, listen, you can listen to them if you want, but in the end, they're going to be shown for who they are. Shallow, empty, just words. We must guard against false teaching and pursue a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right, if you're watching online or here in the room, either way, we're going to make this practical now. We're going to ask this question, how do we guard against false teaching? We're going to look at three things. There's maybe more, but I'm going to focus on three. First one is this, how do we guard against false teaching? Be on guard. I know that might be repetitive, but stick with me, right? We must be aware of it. That's half the battle, right? Knowing that it's there. So even in this church, as the pastors of this church, we must be held accountable by the church. Are we preaching what's true? Are we preaching the true and full word of God? Because for anyone in here, whether you're in this church or in any other place, you have a responsibility to compare what you are hearing with the Bible. So be on guard. Be aware that it's out there. Be aware that Satan is deceptive, wants to twist and confuse. Be on guard against the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to, the videos you watch, the Instagrams you follow, because there is a flood of teaching out there, and it's not all good, no matter how good it looks or sounds. Now, I'm not trying to make you paranoid, and I'm not trying to make us like the heresy police, necessarily. Simply saying, be aware and be on guard. Because there's a lot of things that can sound good, can sound Christian, 
but it's false. Now, if you're panicking a little bit of like, okay, well, what am I listening to? What am, what, am I doing something wrong? Hang with us. We're going to help, hopefully. Second thing is this. Know God's Word. And this might be the most important point out of all of this because it holds all the other ones together. We guard against false teaching by knowing the Bible. And maybe you've heard this before, but in order to identify counterfeit money, people are trained by handling real money so that when there is a fake, it becomes obvious. And it's the same here. We must know the real thing as it's found in God's Word. And that doesn't mean just reading one part. It means over time reading this whole thing and learning and growing and getting a picture of what is God doing? What's He teaching us from the whole story of the Bible? We must know the real thing. Maybe you know the Bible well. You've had many years of reading and learning. My encouragement to you is keep learning. Not only that, keep learning how to read the Bible. I can get in a rut. You can get in a rut just the same. Keep learning how to approach it, how to listen to it. Or maybe you're new to this, and this is like you pick up the Bible, and it's just like, I have no idea where to go or what to do. And that is okay. I understand that. It can be overwhelming at times. We want to help you with that. Here's a practical, simple thing. There's a simple acronym that's helpful for studying the Bible. There's lots of ways of tools for studying the Bible. This is one that I like, and it's a simple acronym of SOAP. Maybe you've heard this before. SOAP, Scripture. The S stands for Scripture. It means that if you're going to read the Bible, you say, okay, I'm going to read, you know, let's just take today for an example. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 11. So you read it, and maybe you read it two or three times, and you just, that, that Scripture part is just taking the time to read it. Then the O for observation is simply saying, learning how to ask questions. All kinds of questions. Be a good detective, right? Who, who wrote this? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What is God saying? Is God telling us to do something? What's it, say us, what's it telling us about people? What's it telling us about sin? You can ask all kinds of questions. You're observing. You're reading it. You're taking time to observe. A, application, is when you, then you're turning and you're saying, okay, is there something, what, what in here do I need to obey? What is in this scripture that I need to be aware of? That I, do I need to adjust? Is there sin that I need to confess? It's applying it and saying this matters and this, this is how this is working itself out in my life. And then finally, prayer. And this is so important because we turn the scripture back around and we say, God, either one thing, God, I don't understand all of this. And that's okay to pray that and ask God, help me understand. But it's also saying, God, help me live this out. Help me obey your word. Help me put it into practice. So this is a helpful thing, and it helps us truly hear what the Bible is saying. And like I said, there's lots of ways and tools for doing this. This is just one example. We want to be able to help with that. If you want help or have questions, reach out to us. But it helps us to truly hear what the Bible is saying. Because it's really, it's really important to let the Bible speak for itself, rather than us coming to it and trying to speak for it. Right? You ever in a conversation when someone's trying to speak for you? It's not always fun, right? We, all, we probably do it to other people often too, right? And so we, we must come to the Bible. One of the ways that we know the Bible is letting it speak to us, not coming and saying, well, this is what I think, and I'm going to go find it in Scripture. Because this is where false teaching is born. 
when we try to put ourselves into Scripture rather than letting it shape us. Know God's Word. When you hear something from Scripture that you've never heard before, that needs to be a point of discernment for you. Now, maybe it's an area of learning and growth and you're just growing and it's something you've never learned before. Great. But it needs to be a point of discernment because it also could be false teaching. If you hear someone say something and you're like, I have never heard a pastor talk about it that way, it's at least worth listening and discerning. All right, but fear not. So my last point is going to tie this all together. You ready? Because you're like, okay, well, maybe what am I listening to? Maybe I don't know how to discern. I don't know how to do all that. That's okay. Because our last point is this. We don't do it alone. This is a really good thing, right? Remember, this is written to the whole church. And this is why there are spiritual gifts within the church. And there are different roles within the church. There are gifts of teaching and discernment. There are people in our church or in the church, whatever church that you're part of, there are people that are gifted to say, there's something not quite right there. Or gifted to say, here's why this is false teaching. There are people that are able to say, I don't know, but let's teach God's word and teach it for what it is in the truth that's there. There there are roles in the church of correcting. That if I get off track someone can come and say, hey, something's not right here, of rebuking, of saying something or someone is not quite right here. And this is one of the reasons why we believe here at Renaissance in the importance of church membership, because it gives us this mutual responsibility in guarding against false teaching. So it's a good thing, because you're not alone in guarding yourself against false teaching. Here's what this could look like in practice. Maybe during the week you watch a YouTube video of a pastor somewhere, and you're like, I'm not quite sure. You know what? There are people in this church you can send the link to and say, hey, I watched this. Is is this good? Is this good, bad, on, off, whatever it is? And there are people that can help week together. We can learn together and say, you know what? It's great. Learn. Or something not quite right here. Let's find something different. That's what it looks like because the whole church matters and we can work together in this. The whole church matters both right now but also in the past. Now think about this. Maybe you're familiar with what's called the Apostles' Creed. Creeds were a way in history that the church clearly announced what they believed and guarded themselves from false teaching. Creeds kind of, they, they they became necessary because there was false teaching and heresy all over the place. And they said, you know what? We need to get some of these leaders in the church, these pastors together. This was like in the third century, right? We need to get together and we need to make a clear statement of what we believe so that we protect our churches from false teaching. And so for us, here presently it matters, but listen, we're human. Even as a church, we together could get off track and start believing something false, right? So we need the church that's bigger than us beyond us, the churches in the past and churches in other places to help us stay on track. So we're going to sing these words here in a bit, but let's read this together this morning as a fresh reminder and declaration of the Christian faith. We're going to put this on the screen. I'm going to make one note, right? See how there's a, an asterisk, asterisk? I can't say that word there, right? So it says the Holy Catholic Church. When this was written, it meant the true Christian church of all times and places. It did not mean Catholic church as we think of Catholic church. So that's a side note. But let's read this together. And this is a declaration of the Christian faith. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You can join me. 
creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He, descend, sorry, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And what an amazing thing to join with the people of God, both past and present. And we are guarded from false teaching by the church. It's one of the tools that God has given us. We need each other. We must guard against false teaching and pursue a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This was Paul's aim, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is what we seek in our own lives. And this is my prayer for myself and for you, that we would seek the real Jesus, not the westernized Jesus or a cultural Christianity Jesus or a good luck charm Jesus or an inspirational poster Jesus. In the words of Pastor Ray Ortland, we need the industrial grade, full strength Jesus. We need the real thing. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, listen, guys, don't run after other things. Pursue a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Church, let's pursue that Jesus. Let's pursue in this church, in our lives, a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, finding all that we need in him. Not running to other things, not running to other Jesuses or other saviors. Because what we need, what I need, what you need is found in Jesus. And if we want to be the church that I believe that God wants us to be, a church that passionately loves and follows Jesus, a place that is full of God's spirit, full of life, a place that is vibrant, that will happen as we pursue a sincere, pure devotion to Jesus. If we want to be a church that has an impact, this is who we are. This is what we're aiming for to say we want to see people who right now don't know Jesus, we want to see them come to know Jesus. Maybe they're neighbors, maybe they're people that live in this area, maybe it's your neighbors. But we also want to see that in places in the world where people have never even heard Jesus, of Jesus. That's who we want to be as a church. It's what we'll continue to pursue. But we get there. We do that by pursuing Jesus. That's our aim. That's the goal. And when we do that, that other stuff happens and we stand back and we say, God, I had no idea you were going to do that through little old us. But God works in his power when we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to him, pursuing him. And the reality is, when we think about false teachings and all these things that are around us, Jesus, the real Jesus, is better. So anything else will leave us empty and searching. Because apart from a relationship with God through Jesus, we are left searching. And we're so prone to wander. We're so easily enticed by sin. It's part of our nature. We have a sinful nature, and this is the problem, right? Yeah, there is false teaching out there. 
But as I said, we've got to look at our own hearts because a sinful heart will welcome false teaching, will want to hear what makes it feel good. That's bad news. It's bad news that we are born in sin, separated from God, and it's every single person. And our sin keeps us from a relationship with God. And we, on our own, can do all kinds of things. We can say, well, I'm going to be a really good person, or I'm going to be really religious, or I'm going to give a lot of money away, I'm going to be generous. And we can say, if I do enough good stuff, then God's going to love me and accept me, right? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that our sin has broken and separated us from God and we are without hope if we are left to ourselves. But there is good news this morning. Maybe you've heard this a thousand times. We need to hear it every day. The good news is that God loved you and I enough that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth of the gospel. Every other belief system, every other religion will say, if you do enough, God will accept you. But the message of Jesus is you can never do enough, but God has come to us out of love. Jesus lived a perfect life. You and I couldn't do that. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life. He died on a cross in our place. You and I should have died because of our sin. We we were deserving of the judgment of God, but Jesus took our place. And then Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death and sin and evil. And where does that leave us? It leaves us in a position of saying anyone who puts their faith in Jesus as the only way to God, anyone who says, Jesus, I believe that the cross, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead to pay for my sins, I put my faith in you. When we put our faith in Jesus and we turn away from our sin and say, I no longer want to live in my sin and I turn to Jesus, we come to the end of ourselves and say, Jesus, you are the only thing that will rescue me and save me. The truth then is that we are rescued out of our sin. We are forgiven. Our guilt and our shame are removed. And we are no longer separated from God. But we are brought into closeness with God. And this morning, maybe you're here in the room or online listening, and maybe you have never taken that step to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've been trying to earn my way to God. I've been trying to just be a good person. It doesn't get us anywhere. It is only Jesus that rescues us out of our sin. And so maybe this morning you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. And even right where you are in this moment, if your heart says, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I put my faith in you. And I turn away from my sin. I want to follow you. And you are brought into relationship with God. If you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you. It's a message of good news that we need to hear. It's the message of good news that we can go and tell that God rescues sinners. Maybe this morning you just need to, you've heard this many times and you're a follower of Jesus, but you need to come back to your come back to God this morning and say, I need to evaluate my own heart. Am I I pursuing a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? 
And maybe this morning you need to say in faith in a fresh way, God, I need you. I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to manage my life and take care of everything. And Jesus, I need you. The door is open. God invites us to come to him, not because of our own goodness, but because of the goodness of Jesus. We're going to pray this morning, and then we're going to continue worshiping and responding together through song. We're going to sing that Jesus is better. As we do that, let's let that be our prayer and desire to say, let's guard ourselves against false teaching. And the way we do that is by looking to Jesus, pursuing a sincere and pure devotion to him.